Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hello Around the Coin, this is your host Kinsa Durst. Today we have a very exciting guest, Prashant Fuloria. Um, he is a CEO of Funbox. We will go into that in the podcast in terms of what they do um, and uh, what kind of clients they work with. But Prashant himself has very extensive experience in Silicon Valley, especially in the payments ecosystem, and also just has an impressive academic background. So I really recommend this episode uh, for his insights on uh, Silicon Valley, uh, Funbox, and what they do. And before we start, I'd like to thank uh, Otter Labs, our sponsor. Uh, you can visit them at hireotter.com and also DeFi Code. Thanks and enjoy. And we're live. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Around the Coin. Today, I'll be your host, and we have a special guest, Prashant, a CEO of Funbox. Prashant has a very extensive experience in the payments ecosystem, uh, working at Google, Facebook, Yahoo previously, and also very impressive background in terms of education. And, the, and you know, he has master's and PhD from Stanford um, and also has uh, President's gold medalist at Indian Institute of Technology in Delhi. So yeah, welcome, welcome, Prashant. Uh, thank you for having me. Sure. So why don't we start with a little bit of background about yourself? We'd love to hear about um, your your previous experiences or or how you how you came about um, you know coming to Silicon Valley and and and, and leading the payments uh, products in the industry. Well, I came to Silicon Valley back in 1996. I, I came to Stanford to get my PhD at the business school there. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get very far. Uh, I still live within about a 10-mile radius of, of Stanford. So I've, I guess I've just been stuck here for, for quite a while. But, but I've been really fortunate to be able to work with uh, and work at a number of very, very interesting companies at very critical periods in their evolution I got a chance to be an early product manager at Google when the company was still small, less than 500 people. And six years later, when I left Google, the company was about 35,000 people. So I saw the company grow about 70 times during my stay there. And uh, I worked on AdWords, which is the core advertising product. But then also moved to other groups. I led the payments team at Google and built out Google's global payment network. 
And at that time, if you think about Google, uh, we had advertisers all over the world who wanted to pay us, but didn't know how to pay us. We had publishers all over the world who needed to get paid by us, but sending money, for example, to Brazil or to China was not as easy at that time as it is today. So really, that was sort of a big thing. And by the time I left Google, I was running all of Google's products for the Asia-Pacific region. So China, Japan, Korea, India, Southeast Asia, Australia, New Zealand, all those markets. I then moved to Facebook where I ran the ads team at Facebook. So I was running the advertising product for a couple of years and then again did payments for a couple of years, building out the global payment platform and uh, a virtual currency called Facebook Credits to help monetize the Facebook platform. Moved on to a company called Flurry, which is actually at the time the world's largest mobile analytics platform and actually was in over 2 billion devices all over the world. Um, and Flurry got acquired by Yahoo. So I... I moved over to Yahoo. So the, the joke I sometimes tell people is that I've worked at Yahoo, Google, and Facebook, but not necessarily in the right order. Because by the time I reached Yahoo, it was at a different stage of its evolution. And you know, it was asking itself some fairly existential questions around, uh, around what, what to do and how to move forward. Uh, and I was at Yahoo till about 2016. And four years ago, I joined Funbox. And um, in four, four and a half years later, I'm still here. And still extremely excited about the company. Uh, Funbox is a fintech company. We are a financial services technology company, and we power the small business economy through credit and payment products. And we work with small businesses to give their small business owners tools for you know, financial resilience and peace of mind and things like that. So I think of myself as you know, a product or a tech executive by profession, but really a product manager at heart. Great. Got it. Got it. It's really interesting how, you know, all these, uh, you know, your experience at Google, Facebook, uh, Yahoo, how their payment processing um, product was developed because of their need to reach a wider audience across the globe and, and collect payments from them and, and, you know, for, for advertisement uh, services. Um, you know, you would expect them to um, use an already existing uh, payments provider um, to tap into those markets. But it seems like um, these, these companies really just wanted to develop their own product to have the most, um, f- most efficient way of, of processing these payments. Um, yeah, and, and really excited to hear about um, how this experience translates into your work at Funbox. But before that, um, I, I had a quick question. How did you, um, you know, you went, you ha- you got a bachelor's from um, technology, uh, Indian Insti- Institute of Technology, Delhi. How did you end up coming to Silicon Valley and um, really getting involved in the tech space here? Well, I knew when I was an undergrad back in New Delhi that I wanted to study further. And I was very interested in research. And so when I joined the PhD program at the business school at Stanford, my goal was to become an academic. And so unlike the MBA program, which is very applied and where every MBA student is basically a practitioner, PhD programs at business schools are really geared more towards academia, more towards research, and more towards creating and generating the next generation of, of, of professors, business school professors. And after coming to Stanford, I I really enjoyed what I was doing. And I was very much down the path of becoming a business school academic. But then I realized that 
the life of an academic can be pretty lonely. You're typically working by yourself uh, or with a collaborator who's halfway around the world. And I really just wanted to work with a lot of other people in just a very different kind of environment. So I started interning at, at a startup. And of course, this was 99. The Valley was booming. And then I said to myself, look, I can always go back and become a business school professor at a later stage in life. Let me just try out this startup thing. And so lo and behold, I graduated as, as quickly as I could and joined the startup. Two years later in 2002, the tech bubble had burst. And I was asking myself this question, did I just make the biggest career mistake of my life by not going down you know, a more traditional path where I would still have a job, I would be on my way to getting tenure. And, and, and now I'm in a startup that, uh, that doesn't know, you know what's going to happen. Well, everything turned out okay. We, we sold the company and then I joined Google in 2003. So, it, so the story has a, if not a happy ending, at least not a terrible ending. But mm. there were some anxious moments in there. So it was just a matter of sort of circumstance that I happened to be in Silicon Valley during the tech tech boom and realized that I really want to work in a different way than what I was doing as an as a researcher at Stanford. Got it, got it. But it seems like you did have your fair share of academic background, getting master's and PhD at Stanford. So congratulations there. Oh, yeah. Um, I was a professional yeah. student. I was definitely yeah. a professional student and uh, figured out how to apply all the courses that I took to, to get as many degrees as possible. But I, yeah. I like to not, I don't like to talk about that these days. Anymore. Really? <laughs> <laughs> okay, why don't we move on to a more exciting topic then? So fintech, <laughs> uh, so fintech um, you know, I think, we, we, I don't think fintech was a very big thing when you were, when you were transitioning to a more Tradition, uh, more and more tech career, tech and finance career, right? Is this something that just kind of developed as your career um, career grew over the years? You know, I think that the internet has obviously disrupted a number of industries over time, over the last 25 years. If you think about the, the, the advent of the internet, it became, it started becoming a little more mainstream back in the mid 90s and was a lot more mainstream in the early 2000s. But initially, I think the the areas that the internet really touched were things that were completely digital. So communication, entertainment, information. So you had things like messaging products and uh, and search and, and 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 entertainment, for example. However, over time, the internet began to touch other industries, other verticals, and and today, of course. You have financial services, healthcare, logistics and transportation, and many of these these verticals that were that were you know maybe a little bit later in the, to to get impacted by the internet and information technology. So what we're seeing today is really just the the continued progression of of the internet and internet enabled technologies. And how they've been affecting and reshaping uh, industries. So I guess you always had some innovation. You've had innovation in financial services a little bit here, a little bit there for for the last two decades. But I think the last five years have seen a more systematic, more wholesale, call it disruption, call it reshaping, call it evolution of financial services by uh, by technology, and in particular by information technology, as exemplified by the internet. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's really, really fascinating how quickly the fintech space grew. You know, with all these all these new technologies, the adoption adoption rate um really varies. And I think especially dealing with finance, money, you know, if if it's a new tool that people aren't familiar with, you know, when if, if it's a if it's a new tool on the internet. And people are, are just, you know, my grandparents are still learning how to just <laughs> access their email, right? And it's it can be really scary for for people to trust third party, trust um, these online websites to manage their money. Um, but it, I'm I'm fast. I think I think I'm also bringing this up because um, I also work in the blockchain space, and it's a new financial product um, for you know a new financial asset. Um, still very cutting edge and not it's not it's not an adopted product adopted product but um it is a new technology that's that people are playing around with um but because because there aren't um really solid systems put in like insurance for for loss of money there's no there's no authority to really um really protect users um the adoption um hasn't hasn't really really been widespread as as it could be i think um, Absolutely. Yeah. So if you can if you can look at it like a, a comparable with say entertainment, it shouldn't take a lot to get a person to try out a new way of accessing video or uh, video content because mm-hmm. there really isn't that much risk in you know turning off your TV and mm-hmm. t- turning on your computer and looking at video on YouTube or or what have you. But when it comes to your health, for example, or when it comes to your money, mm-hmm. well, people, and perhaps very understandably so, want to be very careful. They want to make sure that they are they are accessing a service that they can trust. They're not getting scammed uh, mm-hmm. and not getting misleading information. So the bar is very much higher, I think, as it should be, for services uh, in in these more more sensitive, perhaps more, uh, spaces. And so it just takes a little bit longer for those services to mature, for people to to understand which services they can trust. Mm. But we're getting there now. And I'd, I'd I'd say one thing for all of for all of these for all of these changes, there's often you know one or a few more catalysts that really drive drive the change. I think, in some ways, just the digital access to a variety of financial services. The change has been happening gradually over time. I just think that COVID has been an accelerant because now, for example, nobody wants to send a check in the mail or receive a check in the mail anymore. When I get a check in the mail, my first thought is, hmm, this could have the coronavirus on it. What do I do with this check now? So I think that uh, the last six months have definitely seen an acceleration of adoption and maybe a change in mindset even around financial services, like this is the way to go. This is uh, whether I'm working with a large bank or whether I'm working with a young fintech, this is the future. And so all of these changes typically have catalysts that that drive that change. Yeah, yeah. COVID has been a huge catalyst, um, I think. I mean, it's still still in the process, right? We're in the middle of it right now, seeing um, new companies rise and fall. Zoom has been a huge, you know, Zoom has seen huge growth and attention during this during this period as well, uh, because of because of its niche use case um, 
in, in and how ne- necessary it is in the current situation. And uh, yeah, so we would love to hear more about um, you know how 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 you how, how Funbox has been approaching the situation and specific examples. But before that, I guess it would be great to have you have you explain what Funbox is for the audience members who don't know. Sure. Happy to do that. So Funbox is a fintech company. Uh, we're about seven years old. We have about 200 people in San Francisco, in Dallas, and in Tel Aviv. And we are a financial platform for small businesses. We serve small businesses with tools and products that help business owners with just financial flexibility and peace of mind. We provide credit and payment solutions for the small business economy, if you will. And what Fundbox is and is used most for is a working capital platform, a working capital tool for small businesses. Now, as you can imagine, and there's so much data to back this up, the number one challenge that small businesses have is managing their cash flow, managing their working capital. Because unlike larger enterprises or even mid-market companies that typically have access to a variety of sophisticated financial tools and banking tools, a small business typically doesn't really have that access. And so they're always thinking about cash. They're always thinking about working capital. And the number one reason why small businesses fail is not because the business concept doesn't make sense or they don't have any demand or things like that. It's because at some point they run out of money and not from a profitability standpoint, but from a cash flow standpoint. So what Fundbox does is small businesses come to Fundbox and they connect some sort of business system. It could be their accounting software. It could be the system they use for invoicing. It could even be their business bank account. They connect one or more of these business systems or transactional systems to Fundbox. And we use that data from that system to understand the business and give it access to our products. That way, a small business customer of Fundbox can get access to to working capital, for example, very, very quickly. And just Mm -hmm. to put this in, in perspective, all what I just talked about typically happens in three to four minutes. So you come to Funbox, our mobile app or our website, and you you just create an account and then you connect your, let's just say your accounting software. Suppose you're a QuickBooks customer. You connect your QuickBooks to, to, to Funbox. That process typically takes less than three minutes. And within about 45 seconds after that, we're able to assess your business and give you access to a line of credit. Now, of course, it's not human beings doing this assessment. It's all this, all of this is done through software, through machine learning. And what it does is it creates a very convenient, very fast, very simple process for small business owners to just sign up for Fundbox and get access to, to our products. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And, and QuickBooks is, is, um, you know, is another, another digital tool that small, small businesses are using more and more because it is easier to manage uh, and store data over the internet, business data over the internet. Um, and it's great that you guys are integrating with this uh, to create this uh, credit line. So is it, so I guess uh, to simplify, it's 
can I can I say it's like a FICO score generator? Um, so you, they can connect the data they have uh, through QuickBooks, and um, your machine learning or AI algorithm goes through through the data and creates a certain amount of trustworthiness each businesses business have, right? Yeah, I think that's one way of looking at Fundbox, which is that we have the ability to assess the health of your business mm-hmm. by looking at your business data. A lot of traditional ways of giving credit to small businesses end up treating small businesses as consumers. Mm-hmm. So if, for example, you were running a bakery and you came to a bank for a $20,000 line of credit, for example, the way the bank would would assess you would be mostly as a consumer. They'd run a credit check. They'd look at your personal credit history. And frankly, they wouldn't really spend a lot of time thinking about or looking at what kind of business your bakery is. How many customers do you have? Are they consumers? Are there are they other businesses? What does the cash flow volatility look like? Any of those things, because those things are hard to do. It takes the average bank something between somewhere between three to four thousand dollars of human time to assess a a business. So that's a lot of money in people time, you know, an underwriter, an auditor to go through your books and so on. And if you were a you know, let's say a larger company and you're looking for a million dollar line of credit, it may well be worth the bank's time to do that because you know, over a million dollar product, they might make tens or maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue over time. But you were, if you were asking for a $20,000 loan or a line of credit, it doesn't really make sense for them to spend three to $4,000 understanding your business. And so they don't. This is where automation comes in. So what we've been able to do is, through machine learning, really replicate and actually even beat the, the, the ability of a, of a human underwriter to understand the risk or the health of a business by going through their books. We just we just do it better and faster and frankly cheaper because our costs are zero mm-hmm. uh, through through machine learning. And that translates to a much faster, better experience for for our customers as well. Got it, got it. It sounds like a product, you know, it's 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 of course useful for for the s- small business customers that that you guys have, but it sounds like a product that would just scale the overall economy um, um, that because all, when all these businesses and customers use your service, the overall you know, cash flow capital efficiency increases and um, just makes makes overall grows the overall economy and, and sounds like a very, very interesting product and uh, excited to see where it goes. So right now, um, to go back on the previous topic about COVID, how has COVID really impacted um, your operation as as you're working with small businesses? Because small businesses are some of the hardest hit group of um, you know group of businesses uh, during these times. I think so. It would be interesting how you know your to hear how how your product uh, might have helped with these businesses or how you kind of pivoted um, to to uh, this this new circumstance that came up. So we've seen a lot of movement in the market over the last six months. I think the onset of COVID and the sharp downturn that, that, that happened at that time has definitely had a huge impact on fintech in general. And I think 
I think of it as almost a, this, the last six months or this year is going to be like a defining moment for fintech because it's at the same time, both a huge challenge and a huge opportunity. Well, first of all, COVID is a challenge for everybody. It's a, it's a, it's a healthcare issue. It's, it's a, hum, a humanitarian issue, but it's also an economic issue and it impacts people's money and it impacts fintech companies as well. What we've seen very happen very often is especially companies that are serving uh, customers, whether consumers or more more to the point, small businesses through credit. We've seen a lot of fintech companies really have have had their business operations disrupted, uh, and typically the pattern goes something like this: anybody who gives out money in the form of credit. Uh, is looking at how the money comes back, right? And there, there are there's something called delinquency, which is just basically what percentage of the money you were expecting back didn't show up. And what we've seen in the market, not with our own data, but in the market is many players have had sharp increases in their delinquency rates to the point where some of the contracts they may have had with their financial providers, the folks that actually provide the capital for originating loans, for example, to the point where some of those contracts may have been violated or some of those quote-unquote covenants have been tripped. And, and as a result, business operations were paused and a number of folks stopped serving customers. Hmm. We had a fairly different uh, experience. We did see our delinquency start to rise in the first few weeks of COVID. So typically they were in the low single-digit percentages. They started inching up you know, reached the high end of the single digits, but then came down again. And they they, they, came, they got back to pre-COVID levels within a couple of months. And for the last few months have been at historic lows. So our own experience with the performance of our small business customers has actually been quite different. And keep in mind that this happened when we we kept serving our small customers. So one thing that we did was we never shut our doors down. We never stopped serving our existing customers. We did take our foot off the off the pedal, if you will, in terms of new customer acquisition. We, you know, we we paused our marketing spend and we only, you know, got some organic customers coming on, but we never stopped serving our existing customers. And 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 this and despite that. Our our financial performance, our delinquency performance, for example, was very very good. So we're very we're very happy about about how how we were able to to weather the the COVID shock. Mm. Yeah, that's great to hear. You know, it's uh, you know fintech is is pretty developed, and there's there is a lot of competition, um, and there is a lot of delinquency in terms of these fintech companies too. Uh, so. So it's great to hear that Funbox is doing well. And, um, you know, you've been with Funbox for a while. Currently, you are the CEO, uh, but previously you were also COO and CPO. Um, so you've been you're very, very um, hands-on and um, very, very hands-on experience with with developing Funbox as a company, it seems like. And what, what, what would you say... Um, you know, is, is something is is an aspect that makes Funbox stand out. How has Funbox how, uh, survived through all these years r- among all the competition in this fintech space? Um, is it is it is it the that it, it is low cost um, and you guys have very effective marketing, 
or, or something else. We'd love to hear more about it. I think first and foremost, Fundbox is a technology company. And we've really invested a lot of time, a lot of effort, and a lot of money in in our data, in our data asset. And by that data asset, I mean our team, our infrastructure, and even the data. So if you if you just count all the investments we've made in people, in in uh, in our systems, and in our data over the past seven years, the bill for that would probably be over a hundred million dollars. So it's been a significant investment in in data, and that paid off very very well in in the COVID downturn. And what I mean by that is, it's it's in today in today's day and age, it's not difficult to 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 just say that you have great AI or you have great machine learning or anything like that. I think ultimately the proof of the pudding is in the eating, in the performance of those uh, of those models that you've built. Mm-hmm. And we've, we've done a few things that are a little bit different in terms of how we approach data. So one is that we really focus a lot on business transaction data. So for example, understanding your bank account, if you've connected your bank account, mm-hmm. or understanding your accounting software, if that's what you've connected, or your invoices. We spend a lot of time in in what we call feature engineering, which is really automating the understanding of, oh, this incoming cash transaction is not revenue. It's actually a transfer from another bank account. Or this incoming cash transaction is not revenue because it's stimulus money from the government. Oh, this incoming cash transaction is actually revenue from a customer who is a loyal customer of yours, right? So just being able to understand the meaning behind each transaction, money coming in, money going out, is is something that is uh, that that is is hard to do. But we've built the uh, the machinery to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing that we've done is we've we've maintained, and this is part of the requirement of being a Fundbox customer, is to have a continuous data connection with Fundbox. So. We're not just looking at your business health right when you join, but we have a real-time linkage to your your business uh, system that you've connected and hence your business health. And what we're also doing, and this is sort of the third thing, is we're not just looking at you as a business in isolation. And this is especially true for what you might call a B2B business. So not the B2C businesses where your customers are typically consumers, but B2B is where your customers are other businesses where you don't exist by yourself in a vacuum, but you exist as part of a business network where you've got other businesses as either your customers or your suppliers and vendors. We've built out an understanding of businesses and their connections and their relationships even beyond the folks that are our customers. So we have over 10 million, actually over 12 million businesses in what we call our business graph, which which is a data asset that we've stitched together by looking at the business systems of our customers. So every customer that comes to Fundbox gives us a little bit of information about the 100 to 200 businesses around them. Mm-hmm. And then that gives us a better insight into, into you know, your own financials. So for example, we get a sense of revenue concentration. Do you really only have three big customers? Or what if something happens to one of them? Or are you well diversified? What if your customers all happen to be in a particular vertical like agriculture or construction? You know, just understanding that 
lets us make better assessments about the health of your business. And again, none of this is done by human beings. It's done by machine. It's done through machine learning, mm. which makes it a much more robust process that can scale to hundreds of thousands or millions of, of customers and, and data points. That's amazing. I think, I think, yeah, data, data is definitely a powerful asset to have for any company these days. And um, I think, I think that accessing, having access to all the, all the customers information um, really can help each company, especially Funbox, um, really reflect on, on all the data and, and provide the best service you can. So that's, that's, yeah, we that's, think of this. Yeah. Sorry, we we think of this as a sort of a virtual uh, a virtuous loop, which is the more customers we have, the better our understanding of the business network, mm-hmm. and the better the understanding that we have of the business network. Hence, the better the data, the more mm-hmm. customers we can serve, and the better we can serve our customers. So it's sort of a virtuous cycle where, as customers keep joining our network, mm-hmm. we understand the the B two B economy better, and we're able to serve our customers better because we can make better predictions. So, so the, the flywheel, right, is spinning and, and we're just working on making it just go faster. Yeah, it sounds like an amazing, amazing network to have. Uh, and it sounds like, seems like that's even a, a potential pivot of business. Just prov- this, this network itself will be incentive enough for other businesses, businesses to join and use Funbox, maybe be connected to other businesses in the ecosystem um, to have a really efficient this capital, yeah, capital efficiency and this almost mini economy of businesses just that just deal with each other. Um, yeah, that's 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 amazing. And in terms of the customer's perspective, is it is it really that easy? You know, because AI and machine learning is a pretty daunting topic, especially I feel like for small businesses to learn about and and understand how it works and how to use it. So is it is it really just something? Is it like a software software that they just plug into their QuickBooks or is there some sort of onboarding system? How do you, how do you, you know, how do you make it less daunting for them? Or, or um, especially, especially as a financial product, you know, we mentioned previously, it, it can be, it can be hard to earn the trust of of new users to to use your product. Yeah. So there, there are a couple of questions in there. One is around mm-hmm. ease of use. Yeah. And I think one analogy I might give is Google. Right. You go to Google and you do a search, and you, and you're not thinking too much about what's happening behind the scenes, but you search for a topic, let's say you're searching for a toaster oven, and then you see, you know, just a number of, uh, you see a number of search results, you see a bunch of ads, you see a bunch of pictures and so on, on that topic, or you're looking up a celebrity or whatever it might be. Behind the scenes, you've got, you know, crawlers that are crawling the internet, like all the time and collecting all that content, indexers that are doing a bunch of things. And there's, there's like 20 years of, of engineering development and all the complexity uh, that just produces an ultra simple experience for the user. And that's the way it should be, you know, to hide all the complexity from the user and let them just get to what they want to get to as quickly as possible. I think using the same philosophy, we try to keep all the heavy lifting on our end and make it very simple for the user. So for example, if you take the case of QuickBooks, but this is also true for others, QuickBooks has an API, which means they they, they have a way for other developers like Funbox to be able to access a user's data, of course, with the user's consent. 
So we're a developer on the QuickBooks platform. We use their API. So as a user, all that you have to do is to say, yes, I give consent to Funbox to be able to access my QuickBooks information. And once you log into your QuickBooks and, and do that, we, we do the heavy lifting on our end. We go, we fetch the data, we run our machine learning models on it, we assess your risk, we present the business summary information back to you, and we ask you, is this who you say you are? I mean, there are a few things that we have to do to, to follow the law of the land. This is a financial product after all, and you know it is heavily regulated. We want to make sure that we have the business identity verified uh, we want to make sure that we 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 are sort of doing all of those things. We are check we are we are uh, we are we are making we are being compliant with you know money laundering laws and you know all of those things. So we we do present this information back to the user, make sure that they verify it. But that's basically it. So we do a lot of heavy lifting on our end to make the user experience as 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 easy as possible. Which is why it takes our average user less than three minutes to sign up for Funbox. And then at which point it takes us less than a minute, something like 45 seconds to run our models and, and make, a, make a credit decision. Oh, wow. That's amazing. So, so with this technology, I guess in the future, you, you expect you, your so fun, goal of Funbox is to have every single small businesses in the U.S. to, to potentially use your, use your product, right? Yes. Yeah. I think what we would love to be able to do is, is serve all small businesses, the fact of the matter is there already is a small business economy. There already is, uh, there, there are small businesses serving consumers. There are small businesses serving other businesses. One thing that you might, people often don't know is that out of the 30 million small businesses in the U.S., so everyone knows there are a lot of small businesses, and that's true, but out of the 30 million small businesses, 20 million are actually B2B and only 10 million are B2C. Now, you and I as consumers, when we think of a small business, we think of a restaurant, for example, or a grocery store. Because when we walk down Main Street, that's what we see. But for every restaurant, there's somebody that's, that's, doing, that's supplying food. There's somebody that's supplying cleaning services. There's somebody that's providing staffing. There, there, there are many more B2B small businesses. They may not be visible in plain sight, but they're there. And so there already is a business-to-business -business network of small, small businesses. And all we would be doing is recognizing that, understanding that, and using that to serve them better. There are, there's about $1 trillion, $1 trillion of working capital that is locked up in unpaid invoices to small businesses. But think about it for a second. So if you look at the, the SMBs in, in the US, especially those that invoice their customers and and kind of get paid over time, oftentimes late, there's a trillion dollars that's that is owed to small businesses at any point in time. Wow. Right? And that's a big number, no matter which way you look at it. So just being able to unlock even a small fraction of that has huge implications on the small business economy, right? It doesn't take a math genius to figure out that, oh, even a 1% of that is a, a whole lot of money. And so as you unlock billions and billions of dollars, that should go back into, into running these businesses, into, into 
their operations into their marketing, all of those things. And that is, that is the huge opportunity that we see in front of us. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's, that's, yeah, these are definitely some of the things that, that FinTech has unlocked for, for, for the economy, economies at scale. Um, yes, that's a, that's a really very applicable, um, very applicable aspect of, of where, where Funbox fits in. Um, yeah. And is this where, you know, going off of this, how do you see you know, the future of fintech or small business, small business credit developing? You think, you know, for now, are you just focusing on reaching as many small businesses as possible? Or do you see it kind of changing um, with this with this coronavirus impact uh, to, to all these businesses? I think COVID has definitely demonstrated a few things. The first, of course, for us is that we've our technology or our approach has been validated in the sense that when you're assessing business risk, especially small business risk, mm-hmm. the number one question that you've got to ask yourself is how are your assessments going to perform in a macroeconomic downturn? Because a rising tide lifts all boats and it's relatively easy to make predictions in a benign environment. But the, 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 the million or billion or trillion dollar question is, how is this going to work when there is a recession? And so just the performance of our, our portfolio, the performance of our models and, our, and the fact that we've been able to serve customers very robustly through the downturn has really validated you know, for ourselves and for the people that we work with our approach, the power of our technology and so on. So that's like been really good. Yeah. A few other things have also sort of stood out. One is that people in general, and this is true for small businesses as well, are not very happy with the service they're getting from their banks. And this is, of course, a broad statement. But in general, if you were to talk to people, small business owners, what you would find is that they're generally disappointed with the level of service that their banks have given them through COVID. One, in terms of credit. So, you know, approval rates at banks for for loans went down astronomically. But also when it comes to things like Government stimulus, the Paycheck Protection Program, or PPP. Um, the guy who's been cutting my hair for the last 15 years, my barber, who shuttered his shop you know, when, when COVID hit, I gave him a call and asked him, hey, are you taking advantage of the PPP program? And he said, well, I, I talked to my bank and they said it's too late. They won't process my application. I was like, well, there's still like two weeks left in the program but they had stopped serving their customers by that time, number one. And they never told him, this is number two, they never told him that he could go anywhere else and get that PPP loan. And just just the sheer lack of support for for the small business has been pretty eye-opening. Now, I'm not saying that anybody at any big bank woke up this morning and said, let me go and make my customers' lives as miserable as possible. No, that's not what they're trying to do. But it's been hard for them to serve their customers well. So there's a very, very strong demand in the market for uh, for working with brands and companies that, that SMBs can trust. And so we've been looking at this and saying, there is a huge opportunity here. We, we, we jumped in the PPP program, for example. We worked with the Treasury, uh, with the Fed, and, you know, and with the SBA. We originated almost half a 
billion dollars of of stimulus money ourselves directly uh, to almost 15,000 small businesses. So we were very, very active in that. And and so what, what we realized is, one, there's a huge demand from the market. People are looking for, you know, working with uh, with companies they can trust. There's the need for flexibility, like just being able to build new products as the need arises. And I think more broadly, there's an opportunity to, to reinvent some of these financial products around the around the business reality of the customers. I think for too long, the approach to financial services has been, you know, I'm a hammer and everything is a nail. Or I have a few tools like a bank account and a, you know, and a payment card and what have you. And I'm just going to offer these products to my customers without fully understanding the nuances of their business. And the approach that we've taken to credit, which is really getting into the, let's understand your business first, such that we can reimagine credit for your purposes is something that can also be done for other financial services, whether it be you know, a depository account or payment cards. And so we've been thinking about expanding our product offering to, to go beyond sort of credit and payments into other things as well, just building on the foundation that we've, we've already got. And that's something that sort of we're we're you know we're we're considering and thinking about and you know maybe even working on a little bit uh, because the opportunity is 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 very significant. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's kind of baffling how how much data banks have of of their customers of their businesses and and how much how you know they're not taking advantage of of all these resources that they can leverage. And, and create new products out of, or even just make their make their customers happy. <laughs> so I think I think more fintech companies um, need to really tackle this uh, this um, tackle you know approach their their customers not just in terms of providing a specific hammer as you mentioned, but um, making really making them feel good about using the using the product and gaining their trust. And I definitely you know I've I've taken a look at fun boxes. Um, website and and some of the online materials you guys you guys have and it's not you guys definitely aren't just saying hey we're uh, AI machine learning company um, that that can you know give you a credit credit line you guys really you know go into um, I, I see I see articles on how to how how businesses businesses can succeed um, how to deal with COVID how to how to market your product how to um, you know improve your your credit line. Um, and it's it's really really great to see that um, and see that Funbox is is being an example company and uh, in, in doing something like this. When when COVID hit and when the PPP program was was in full swing, I think our how to material was like trending number one on Google. If you were searched for mm-hmm. uh, for information on PPP, we were working very hard to keep all because you know it was a very rapidly evolving program. There's a lot of confusion in the market. So we were keeping track of what is going on in the program and this putting it on our blog and putting it in our our customer facing you know health material uh, just just generally because we thought it was a good thing to do for our customers and frankly for a lot of businesses that don't that aren't our customers mm-hmm. um, so yeah I think it is we we're, we're, we're happy and we're, we're we're sort of proud of what we did during covid and um, and and how we're and how we're working with customers we think there's a huge opportunity for us and you know uh, for uh, for fintech more broadly to really really just take advantage of the fact that people are now thinking about digital first and 
they and people are looking to build long-term relationships with providers that they can trust through thick and thin and and really use that to to build this next generation of financial services we've done a lot of that with credit i think there's an opportunity to do that with many other things as well mm-hmm. um you know bring the technology part of uh, the technology aspect along with the the customer experience and the the customer service aspect together in a really strong way mm-hmm. uh, to to bu- uh, to build that that loyal customer base and that lasting business mm-hmm. is something that I think we th- we think it's, it's 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 a huge opportunity for us in the world of s- small business, but it's true more broadly for fintech across other areas like consumer as well. And you know you're seeing people trying to innovate on the cons- on the consumer experience, and there's a lot that's happening right now that is really interesting. And I think COVID is this year. I think when we go go forward a year or two from now, I think we will look back at this time in 2020 mm-hmm. as as a defining moment where some of the hype around fintech that was less less robust that had less legs to it sort of had has faded away or will fade away or you know, we've seen that already with the shakeout in the market and a number of players exiting the market but then companies that were perhaps more robust more stable that had were more grounded in 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 the fundamentals right which is you build a good product you serve your customers well you you build a, a, a solid business i think those will 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 last and and hopefully flourish Yes, yes, yeah. It's it's um, you know, and and data data is a very powerful tool that you guys can leverage. Um, and and I'm sure you, I'm sure it's it's something that you'll you'll learn from over the years. I'm sure as as you help your customers as well. And a lot of these small businesses using using tool using fintech, um, they're looking to um, grow as a business and not you know some of these businesses won't stay small and it would be exciting to to see how how the tools are efficiently used to to achieve that that next step in the, in the businesses and um yeah in terms of data i can i can totally see fun it's it's a fun box using this data for so many things um you know of course there's the the financial tool you guys provide but with all with this ecosystem of, of small businesses and and seeing how they operate how profitable they are you can even like <laughs> i can imagine you guys having like a vc arm that invests in your your best best performers, <laughs> the ones that that you know that's 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 shown the most growth over over the period that they're your customers and um, just just random um, not maybe random but like uh, new products um, that you guys can then can provide and new services you guys can provide would be really exciting. No, I think that's right. I yeah. think there's a lot of opportunity. You know, we're a small company, we're 200 people, so we have to be really careful about where we invest. We can only do so many things well at any one point in time, yeah. but your your point's well taken. There's just a lot of opportunity, even just informational products. So with access to information of over 10 million businesses, we can do really simple things like provide benchmarking information. You know, are you paying more? You know, in in office leases, uh, in, in office leases than the average, you know, accountant in in Florida, for example, uh, I just made that up. But you could, you can, we can provide benchmarks that might help people, business owners, get a sense for how am I doing uh, as compared to other businesses around me, and maybe I should be more careful with my travel spend, or maybe uh, I'm underinvested in marketing compared to my peers, which is also good to know. Maybe other people are spending more marketing dollars than you, and and then driving more customer acquisition. 
So there's things like that. There's things like early warning, like, oh, we see something might be happening in this part of your customer base. Like, just keep an eye on that, uh, you know, because you never know when, if you're, if all your customers are in one particular vertical, and if that's going to be hit, well, you should know about that, even if you're in a different vertical yourself. There, there's mm-hmm. a lot of informational stuff that we can do. There's other transactional products we can build. There is a lot, but of course, I think, as a small company, we have to sort of rigorously prioritize what we what we pick that has the the biggest possible impact uh, for our customers. So that's that's sort of the uh, that's the fun part of uh, of you know of working in a you know in a small and kind of rapidly growing you know fintech company, uh, which is just the the opportunity. But then, how do you prioritize as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super excited to see where Funbox goes, and and there's a lot of exciting news around you guys. And yeah, and and you know, please tell the audience um, what what Funbox is looking for. What you're looking for um, is it is it new customers? Is it new partners? Um, yeah, please please feel free to let them know. Uh, I'd say all of the above. I mean, our goal is to reach out to as many small businesses as possible, and so we're we're definitely uh, you know looking to grow our customer network. Uh, I would encourage folks to just go to fundbox.com f-u-n-d-b-o-x.com and check out our website or go to our mobile app uh, we're also looking for partners because we we work very effectively with partners who are serving small businesses so if you're if you you're you 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 are running a piece of software if you're a software company or if you're a franchise owner or if you're in any way serving uh, you know a number of small businesses and you think that your customers could benefit from from sort of financial tools, financial agility, financial resilience. Um, please reach out to us, and we would love to see if there are ways in which we can work with you uh, to help your customers as well. That's that's also a pretty important part of our of of how we go about acquiring and retaining retaining customers is through through our partners. So, uh, you know, it's 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 all the above. Great, great. And can they find you as well on social media, LinkedIn, potentially? Where absolutely. They can yeah. um, absolutely. Uh, Prashant Floria on LinkedIn. Uh, easy to get get a hold of me. Um, Funbox has obviously a LinkedIn presence, a Facebook page, a Twitter handle, all the usual. Um, and so uh, we should be very, very easy to find online. And look, we look forward to hearing from you. Amazing, amazing. Well, you'll definitely get a follow from me. <laughs> And, and yeah, looking forward to it. Well, thanks for joining the podcast. Really, really was great speaking with you, learning about uh, your experience and in Silicon Valley and, and how you brought forward, um, you know, Funbox as a, as a company and excited to see where it goes. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Bye. Thanks for joining us for an amazing interview. If you really enjoyed it, come Give us a positive review on iTunes or any other platform you use to listen to our episodes. Otherwise, you can listen to our previous episodes at AroundTheCoin.com and also follow us on social media like Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. to keep up to date with the latest ones coming out. Thanks for joining us. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.